So I was thinking this would be a good time, oh look, there it is, to talk about this question, which, you know, this is, we're in the middle of a series here talking about promises and promise keepers and maybe promise breakers and how we experience that in our lives day in and day out. And this kind of was started because 2010 was here. A new, I've heard it said now, not only a new year, but a new decade. A lot of people are really excited about that, kind of calling for new ways of thinking. And I was wondering how 2010 is going for you so far. Good. Huh? Really? Wow. That's all right. If you say so. Yeah, good. You know what? It's a 12th over. Can you believe that? What happened? If, if you made a pledge, if you made a, a commitment, if you made a, what is it called, a resolution, um, I wonder how it's going now. You know what I've heard said? My Cordy Rec Center Pass is about to expire, which is horrible timing on my part. And I haven't used it a whole lot, to be honest with you. I had it for three months. I think we've gone like two or three times. Best laid plans, right? We were going to do it really this time. But what strikes me is I was talking to someone about the rec center, and, and they said, you know, every year, it's packed the first of the year. You can't get a machine. You can't get in. You, and I couldn't tell you if it is or not, because I haven't been there at all. I didn't make that New Year's resolution this year. But, but I hear it's packed. And they say that right now is the time to go. Because by February, the place is almost empty. Is that true? Yeah, some of you guys have been doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the place is get the place all to yourself. So I was just thinking about that because here we are already a twelfth into it, and that's kind of how it works. As as it were, uh, as it would seem to be, the rec center thins out a little bit, as do so many of our commitments for the new year. I do hope, though, that as we've been talking through these um, thoughts from the Word, that you're starting to see that God is fulfilling promises in you that he does not quit a twelfth of the way through the year. He, he doesn't get you 10% of the way there and quit on you. It's not the God that we follow. And, you know, there are times we'll, we may feel in our, our walk and in our life that he's not leading, he's not promising, he's not fulfilling what he promised. And yet, the truth is that God is the God who always fulfills his promises over us. And so we need to be constantly thinking through and looking to see where that's happening in our lives. It doesn't happen always in the way we expect it. I'm learning that from him. So we spent a few weeks, I wanted to kind of review a little bit, and, and, and I want to say the fundamental thought of the, these six weeks we're going to spend talking about the promises of God is that every promise that God makes over you is not fulfilled for our sake, it's for our good, but it's for his glory. Any time that God has made a promise over you, when he fulfills it in your life, it is not for our our glory, it's for his glory, but our good. And, and therefore, we can rely on God to fulfill his promises because if he is not a God that fulfills his promises over his people, he's not God at all. And that's the scriptural witness to us. We see it repeatedly in scripture. And so at first we talked about the, the confidence we can have in the promises for 2010 come not from ourselves or our own will, one twelfth of the way, and we've already quit. Hey, God is not done with us yet, and that's okay. And so we can press on, and we can keep, keep uh, following him. And the second was the promises that God made over marriages, and, and I, I hope that you're seeing that in your life, and I know there's a lot of hurting marriages. I know that marriage isn't easy, because I'm in one. We've been married going on 16 years. Praise God, because I've learned that I have very uh, little sometimes to do with 
my marriage being sustained. But God is fulfilling promises in our marriages, and I hope that in your marriage, or maybe in your future spouse, you're praying already that God will be making his covenant good in your life. And then last we talked about kids and, and the promises we have uh, in kids, uh, and over our children as well. That in the end, at the end of the day, we take stock in the fact that God has spoken over us like he's spoken over our children. And we can trust him not only with our children, but with ourselves, with our own souls. You know, I talked to somebody uh, a few weeks ago, and they were saying, I, I really want to start coming to church. I really, I really want to be there because my kids need to hear it. I hope that, you know, if you're here today, that's awesome. I hope that we're here today. I'm here today because I need to hear it. I think it's disingenuous to hope that people will follow us into a faith that we don't hold ourselves, wherever that is. And so today I come to worship, and I hope you do too, with a heart-seeking God, with a heart waiting for him to be revealed to us. Show us the way, Father. That's the heart I have, and I hope you have the same. And I think that that type of faith is actually infectious faith, and our children and our neighbors get it. That's how I got it. I'm not sure what that noise is. Did you hear that? All right. So this week we're talking about something that, that actually I think has a lot of, um, you know, veracity in our lives, and it's this idea of, of uh, wealth and money. I want to start by saying this, that God in your life has made promises of wealth over you. Are you ready to go there? You know, see, I, I laugh because I've been thinking about this all week, and I think I'm going to talk about money and what God has promised over you. I'm going to talk about wealth and blessings that God has made over you. And uh, I've seen this abused so much that I kind of thought it'd be fun to start with that idea. You know what's funny? How many of you know a millionaire? Wow, I'm going to get to know you guys. <laughs> no. You know, isn't it funny how money changes things? So many of us are like, I don't know any millionaires. I did a little bit of research as I was kind of preparing this week's sermon. And I was thinking about money and the issue of money and how we deal with money and our relationship to money. And, and I started thinking, man, you know, we always talk about if, if I had a million dollars, what I would do. If I would. And so I did a little research. I was just thinking, I'm a, kind of a math guy, and I was thinking, I wonder what we really, what happens in our daily lives with money. And so I did some math on it, and this is just totally my statistics. So if these are way out of whack, talk to me after service, I'll correct it. I'll make a correction. It could be totally wrong. But based on the census information from 2005, if you work 40 years of your life, that's 25 to 65, and I think most of us have worked more than that, you will have, as a single person, you will have had $1.3 million go through your hands. That's a nationwide average. That means you will handle over a million dollars in your life. So you can look around and say, hey, you're a millionaire. We just don't have it all at one time, right? But we've handled it. It's, it's passed through our fingers. Even more impressive to me is your household that you'll be part of. And this doesn't matter if you're a child or a father or a, or, a, or a husband or a wife. If you're in a home with more than one person, your home will have had almost $2 million go through it in those same 40 years. Because most homes have more than one earner. And so twice over, most of our homes will have handled a million dollars by the time we're looking at retirement and thinking, what happened? What happened? It's a big deal. 
So when we talk about these millionaires out there, these special folks who have it, the truth is that so many of us, all of us in our lives have this opportunity in the United States. We have this stuff that passes between our fingers, and it's what we do with it that matters. So I want to talk about this, and we're going to start a little differently this, this week, but I want to start with the idea of what money is. What is money anyway? And I'm going to talk very specifically. I did talk about God's wealth over us and his, his promises of wealth over us. But I want to start talking about the, the, a little philosophy here of what money is. Because I think that we have a weird relationship with money. And this is a unique thought I've had. Uh, it's something I see revealed in Scripture as well. But what is it? You know, we can make it something else. Like that millionaire. We can make that something out there, right? Money is, is the stuff that we keep in our pockets. That's impressive, isn't it? Money is nothing more than a bartering device. Okay? All this stuff is in our life is what we've exchanged our lives for. Does that make sense? I'll try that again. It's, it's what we agree to give 24 hours of our day for, 8 hours a day, 40 hours a week, for 40 years of our life. We trade it for this stuff. And you know what? Honestly, we don't see this stuff a lot anymore, do we? A lot of times it just goes into the magic numbers machine, and we see it on the magic screen in our house, and we swipe the magic plastic stuff, and it all magically happens. That's what we're trading our lives for. But it's really this stuff, the green back, right, that's behind all of that. It's paper that represents what we have given our lives for. Does this make sense? That makes sense. Say yes, that makes sense. Yes. yes. So th really, it's just a transactional. So we have this. We go, and I'm going to talk to some of the young folks here maybe who, who are going to go look for a job. You're going to negotiate for a salary, and their company is going to say what you're worth. What are you worth? And you're going to negotiate that, and then they're going to give you some of that paper to go out and use. So you're going to run out, and you're going to, and you're going to get excited because there's papers exciting. Because then you can take that and go give it to someone else for what it's worth to them. That's called shopping. And that's what we do. And so we earn it, and we spend it. And we earn it, and we spend it. And we earn it, and we spend it. Some people invest it. Some people save it. But not very many of us do that, right? We just earn it and spend it because that's as fast as it can go through our hands. Uh, but that's what money really is. It's a bartering system that sets the value over our time and the goods that we purchase. This makes total sense, right? That's what money is. So why is it that money has such a weird effect on us? Why is it then, if it's just an exchange for your time, if it's just what you've agreed to give your life for, why does it have such a profoundly odd effect on us? Do you think it does? Maybe you don't. I think it really does. It does over me. What I've found with money actually is that you can, uh, it's disorienting, right? So I'm pull that one up here. So money is actually disorienting because something happens when you have money that changes things, doesn't it? Well, this is more impressive, isn't it? <laughs> the room somehow changes when we, when we start to have some real money to talk about. And you can get disoriented. Have you ever wanted to take a money and just spread it around a room or something and just look at it? 
You ever see the, the heist movies where they spread it out and you're like, really, look at that's crazy. It's disorienting. And the scary thing about, about money is that you can get lost in it. By the way, I watched Mythbusters last night. This stuff is filthy. You know, this is the dirtiest thing you have, except for your kitchen sponge, I said, last night on Mythbusters. <laughs> so I'm going to handle it all now. So look at that. And you can get lost in it. You can be like, oh, and you can obsess about it. I want to talk about picking something that's worth giving your life for today. And I wonder when we set out, I talked to so many people. I did it myself when I went to school. The first time I went to college, I didn't care what I was called to do. I didn't care what I was gifted to do. All I cared is what would bring in the most money. And I began to pursue that life. And it was good. Man, the money was coming in. You can do that with your life. But you should stop and ask that question because you can get disoriented. I would even say you can get lost in it. Money can disorient you and you can get lost in it. If you don't believe this, I heard something else about money. Now, we I don't know how many of you, you said you know some millionaires, right? But many of us would know if we said who's the richest person in the world. I don't know if we'd be right, actually. But many would say Bill Gates, right? Someone was telling me, actually last night, about um, Paul Allen. He's really wealthy, too. He's a Microsoft guy, right? They're just stinking filthy rich. They couldn't spend the money as fast. They can't spend it as fast as they can earn interest on it. They're just loaded. What struck me about Bill Gates is, and I'm sure you may have heard this, he has decided to not give his children an inheritance, at least not a big one. His goal is to give away everything. And I'm not a Microsoft fan. He's trying to give away everything before he dies. Why? Because he knows money is disorienting. It can ruin a family. It can ruin a child. It can ruin us. And so I was really struck by that. Money is disorienting. The second thing is this. Money is emotional, right? Especially cash. Cash is emotional. Now, I thought we'd try something to see if it's emotional or not. <clears throat> so, by the way, I'll talk to you about how to carry your money. If you, um, you can carry money like this. And it's not all that impressive. But if you take a, a whole bunch of those little guys and you put them like that, well, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, have you been with someone who's pulled out? You think you're having a normal conversation with a normal guy. And he goes, hey, I'll get this. And he pulls it out. You know, I didn't even have any hundreds. But he starts flipping through the hundreds to get to the small bills to pay for your coffee. And you start to like straighten your tie and clear your throat and wonder what this guy's about to you know, offer you. Check it out. Money's emotional. Watch this. I'm going to give away some money. Did I change things this morning? <laughs> who, who wants a dollar? No, all in the back. Look at you, girl. Yeah, you guys are way far back. Oh, yeah. No, there you go. See? You guys aren't all that impressed, are you? Money is an emotional experience. Now, that was the bottom side of the stack. If I started counting these out, 50. I didn't have any hundreds. 100. 150. College kids are dying, aren't you? <laughs> and if I started saying, I'm going to give away some money. Oh, the room changes, doesn't it? We start to, what's happening? The truth is, this isn't my money, so I can't give it away. But it just changes things. 
It's an emotional experience. As a matter of fact, one of the problems that we're having right now with, with our credit situation in our country is that it doesn't feel the same to sign our name or to swipe a credit card. It feels different to give someone a $50 bill when you're at Walmart. It feels different. It's an emotional experience. And the last thing I want to say is this. Money, and this is the hardest one I had to learn. Money is amoral. It's not good or bad. It, it's, it's like a brick. And this is from Dave Ramsey. Most of the stuff I've been teaching you actually this morning is from Dave Ramsey anyway. The fundamentals of, of money. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's an adamant object. It doesn't have any power apart from you. Dave Ramsey is famous for saying that money only makes you more of what you are. So if you have a lot of money and you're a generous person, you're just more generous with it. And if you have a lot of money and you're a stingy person, you're just more stingy with it. It doesn't change you. It's amoral. It's how you use money that changes your life. It's how you relate to money that changes your life. And I would, real quickly, and we're going to get into scripture this morning, but I, I really wanted to, to kind of just talk about it because so many of us have given our lives for this and I got to tell you, you've gotten a bad deal. Nothing wrong with it, but don't give your lives for it. There's some classes being offered in the community called Financial Peace University. You may have seen them. St. Paul's is offering two right now. Highland Hope is offering one. We're going to offer one probably in the summer. If you want to take that course, it's all about how to let, stop letting this stuff run your life so you can run your life. And you can, you can deal with this stuff more effectively. So financial peace, if you want to talk about that, I would love to talk to you about it. And, uh, and it's just a great course. It's a very practical course, but it's really good. And it's helped Chris and I change our lives. And I pray it would do the same for you. If you're in a financial bar, you know, bind, I pray that you would consider financial peace. And not just with us. We're not special. Any of them, they're all pretty much the same. It's really good material. Young folks, if you take that course, there is no reason you should not have a very good hold in your finances for your whole life because you will have over a million dollars go through your hands. Well, as we get into the Word this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me and uh, see what, I want to hear what Jesus has to say about, about money. Father God, this morning we come and we just thank you for your Word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us. We thank you that you've, you've made promises over us, and we pray that we would have our, our eyes open to how you're, you're fulfilling them in our lives. You have given us so much, and we can never adequately thank you. We can't repay you. We receive it as a blessing from you. And so today, Father God, we come as those who've been blessed, seeking to know you, seeking to give back, just in worship to you. And today, Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would have your way in our hearts and minds and that whatever happens today, it's not the manipulation of man, it's not a, a, a specific, it's you that you've moved in our lives, that we've known you, Father. We just love you and thank you. We, we love your touch. We love your presence. Have your way with us today, we ask. Give us wisdom for your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn to the book of Luke this morning to hear a story about, about money. It's Luke chapter 12. If you brought your Bible, you can probably find it. If you didn't, grab one on the chair. It's 723 is the page number for it. And we're just going to kind of talk through this text. And it's, and it's, um, it's just a really insightful look that Jesus brings to money and how it relates to us in our lives. And so I'll give you a second to get there and we're just going to kind of read through here and, and talk about it. I just want to read actually first. So let's just start reading it and then we'll, we'll talk as we go through here. Uh, someone in the crowd said to him, this is Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
And Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He, he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. I want to read on in the text. Then Jesus turned and said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and don't worry about it. For the pagan, the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. These words, and I always say this, you know, I'm not sure if you read the Bible a lot. Our Bibles we have on the seats, they have all black. You know, the red words are things that Jesus said. We kind of pay attention to those a little more. It's all the revealed word of God, though. And, and this story that Jesus tells, he sets up the idea of, of what's going on in our lives with money and some of the things we've actually been talking about um, with money. I do want to say that in chapter 12 of Luke here, Jesus is starting to talk about how to be a disciple, how to be one following after him, the things that you ought to do and things you ought not to do. And this is the second kind of warning he gives. And it actually happens in verse 15 where he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You know, if we would just hear that message, it would probably change our life. If we could just be on guard against greed in our hearts, it would probably change our life. And then he makes this factual statement. He says, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he owns. And I know we've made fun here a little bit of the stickers that say, who, who, he who dies with the most toys. And honestly, I'm a guy. I see guys with toys, and I'm like, oh, I want those toys. They're so cool. Again, they're amoral. It's what we do with them that matters. But it's not what our life is about. It's not, at the end, the one who wins. So Jesus says this about, and I want, I want to point out here in this first part, we're going to talk about these two different little parables here, but I want to point out that, that there's something that Jesus is saying to these men. I want you to see what happens. These guys approach Jesus. This big crowd has gathered, thousands of people, and Jesus is teaching his disciples some things about how to be disciples of Jesus. And in the middle of this dissertation, in the middle of this teaching to his people, these folks walk up and they say, hey, 
I got a problem with my brother. He won't give me what's coming to me, right? And that's what it is. It's, a, it's an issue over an inheritance, quibbling over small things. And this begins Jesus' teaching on, uh, on money in this instance. And this is what I think he says. I think the core of this text is that we have to maintain proper perspective with money. Maintain proper perspective. I can't tell you, this narrative right here where these two men stand before Jesus, I want to talk about this for a minute. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has done miracles. Jesus is speaking the words of God to the people of God. And in the middle of this, they bring this little quibble to him about the inheritance of their father. They're not getting their fair share. And in the, moment, in the middle of this moment with them, Jesus begins to teach on money. He says, don't be greedy. Your life's not about what you own. And you might think, man, that's great. It's a great story. I want to tell you, I see families now, 2,000 years later, destroyed over inheritance conflicts. You know what I'm saying? It's hard when you're a little kid and you, you know, raise your aunts and uncles and everybody's cool and then and grandma and grandpa die and they just go at it. Reasonable people get crazy and they lose perspective. Here's the tragedy. For those few dollars and cents, even if it's 100000 200000 a million dollars, whatever it is you think is worth fighting for, you begin to, to wound each other and, 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 and injure one another and do awful things. Why? It's a tragedy. It's because of the greed in our heart. Because we want our fair share. And Jesus says, listen, and he tells a story about, and man, if this is the American narrative, I haven't heard it. This isn't it. I haven't heard it. This, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger areas for my stuff. And I'm not trying to give you guilt for what you have. It doesn't matter. If you are living first for God and his kingdom and his glory in your life, he's going to pour out. We heard it later in the text. He's going to pour out blessings on you. But the stuff can't own you. It can't own me. And it's easy to get there. And it's easy to begin to fight and quibble over nickels and dimes in front of the God who created all things. This bartering system that we've built with his stuff. And Jesus says this parable, and he says, at the end of his life, and this is, I think, the truth that we know, at the end of his life, you fool, everything that you have is going to be demanded of you, and what are you going to have? Too many of us right now are living for that. Too many of us are living for that thing that will not last. We're living, we're setting our sights, our highest aspiration. You know, as parents, it's our sin to look at our kids and say the highest aspiration is that you succeed in the world's eyes. Am I saying you shouldn't succeed in the world's eyes? Absolutely not. But that shouldn't be the farthest we can see as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ. We should be able to see beyond the current situation and to the gospel of eternity. And to the message that will not die with us, but will carry us on to our Savior. So in the middle of this, I mean, it's just unbelievable. There's this kind of, this conflict, and, and it's about not maintaining proper perspective. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of sometimes we can't see past the money to the people. We can't see it. And that's in our own lives, in our family. I tell you, the best, even Dave Ramsey and FP will tell you, the best fights we'll have will be fights about money. They're just nasty. Divorces are ugly. So I'll talk about money. 
what it's going to cost. Oh, and all the emotional pain, all the hurt that'll go on for how long over stuff that we're trying to divide up fairly. It's a tragedy. And in the middle of those times of our life, in the middle of the hard times, not the easy times when there's plenty for everybody, we have to maintain a proper perspective of what we're aiming for in life. The second thing I think is this, and it comes from the next little story here. And I'm just going to tell you what I, I think the text says. We'll talk about it. And you've got to know who provides this stuff anyway, right? And Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about what you have. And I'm not going to get into all what he says there, but I want to kind of flip straight. Because he says, you can't do anything by worrying. But he says this, uh, God has given you everything. In verse 28, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, and if you can't, you know, we're not pagans. We don't worship the earth. But God's glory is revealed in his creation. And if you can't see, if you can't maintain perspective, right now, our country is in the middle of a financial crisis. And the tragedy isn't the crisis itself, but we can't keep our heads straight about it. It's like all is lost. Doom and gloom. You know, maybe this is the plan. Let's turn off the computer and turn off the TV and walk outside and just breathe for a minute. Let's just get some perspective about who's in our life, what God has given us, the relationships. You know why people don't fail in the middle of an economy like this? Because of the other people around them. Friends, family. We're all in this together, <laughs> you know? We only fail when we think we're not. And Jesus says, look how the, the lilies in the field grow. They don't labor or spin. God clothes the grass of the field. God clothes you also. And he says, you have little faith here. And I don't want to hit that too hard because I, I, we got little faith. God, we got little faith. We've confessed it. It's true. Jesus speaks the truth. Can we have some faith in God? In those areas of our lives where we think he's forgotten us. The key verse is 29. Don't let, don't, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The Father knows you need them, but seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. There's this truth of our lives and it comes due whenever that guy who had the storehouse full of stuff comes due. It comes, at, I think, at the beginning and the end. At birth, it's beautiful. We talked about that before. And at the time of death, it's, it's gut check time. Are we prepared? Have we invested wisely what God has let slip through our fingers? I don't mean money. I mean everything he's given us in our life. Have we done, done what is honoring to him with it? This verse, seek first his kingdom and all these things will add to you, will change your life, will change your life, and will give you that perspective. We have to know that he provides the harvest, by the way, for everybody. For everybody. You know how you overcome jealousy? Realize that God gave them that. I wanted that. Well, that wasn't yours. God gave it to them. And sometimes that's a curse anyway. Sometimes that would ruin you. God knows where you are, and he's giving all the good gifts to his people. And, and I pray that you see that in your life and that we can thwart that. We have to know who the breadwinner is, and we're not the breadwinner. Once we want to be, guys, God's laying in your lap. I hope you can acknowledge that in your life. The last thing is this here. We need to set our hearts on God first. 
And this is something that isn't once for all because these things creep in and crowd out and beckon and clamor and call for our attention. But I promise you, if you will seek God first, if you will really look, and I'm not, I mean, look at the big picture, what's happening in your life, and just seek God in it, he will bless you. Last week we talked about which of you would do good if you were asked. Though you were evil, you would do that, Jesus said. How much more would your father do for you? He just pours it out on us. I'm not comfortable with prosperity gospel. I'm just not. I don't know if I'll ever preach it. I hope I don't. <laughs> because I think it misses the point. I think the problem with the prosperity gospel is that we think that the end result is the financial blessings. The end result is the stuff. The end result is the world here. And the truth of the gospel is that if you aren't shaking off what's here, if you aren't looking at the horizon ahead and aspiring to the things of God, you will end your life with a bunch of stuff and no hope and no salvation. Oh God, help us make our bills. He secured eternity for us, folks. I pray we can know that in our lives. I really do. I pray that I would remember that in my life. I pray you remember it in your life. Set your hearts on the things of God, on his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else takes care of itself. This whole thing I've been talking to you about, it's about Jesus. Can you imagine that these guys were quabbling over cash in his presence? Can you imagine that we do the same thing? The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loved us so much. He came for us. And he didn't come just to heal. He didn't come just to do miracles. He didn't come just to teach. He didn't come just to lead. He didn't come just to inspire. He came to give his life that you could have life as well. I hope that you know that in your life. Jesus proclaimed God's kingdom. He said, it's coming and it's here with you. He came to bestow the wealth of the Father that has promised long ago, and it wasn't money, folks. Before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan for salvation, and it comes to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I pray that you know that. I pray that right now if you're in your life and you say, I can't tell which way is up. I don't know what's going on. Everything has gone crazy. I pray that you would solidify yourself in the promises of God that he made eternally over you. I pray that if you need that hope, you would reach out today for Jesus. Jesus is the one who demonstrates God's greatest riches for us. And it came on a cross. And you know what? If you have a hard time figuring out how to deal with money in your life, I want you just to think about standing at the foot of the cross when you're playing with it. When you start to feel your heart get twisted by it. And think of the Savior who died that you could be free, the word says. He didn't die that we'd be slaves to our bartering system. Jesus came to help us set our hearts right with God. So today we're going we're gonna to attempt to do that again. And I, I'm going to pray and then we're going we're gonna to practice something together that we, we've been doing for thousands of years.
Let's pray. Father God, today we come as those who just say, we have not gotten this right. And we confess to you, Lord, that we let things crowd you out. We let things get in the way. We come in here and we're not ready to worship. We're not prepared in our hearts and our minds. Today, Father God, I just thank you for your mercy for me. I thank you for your mercy for your people. We trust you and we, we pray um, a prayer of thanks for what you're doing in our lives. And today, Lord, if we don't really believe that Jesus died to bring peace and prosperity and a hope and a future in our lives, I pray that your spirit would manifest that reality in our hearts. You know, your word even says, I believe, Lord, help with my unbelief. And for those areas of our lives that we can't let go of, I pray that you, by your power and your grace, would have your way in those hard areas. May we never be bound to sin against you. May we never die to false gods. We love you and thank you. We know you're working and we give you praise and glory and honor because you're worthy of all things. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.